Good morning, everyone. Well, it's a joy to be in God's presence this morning. Good to see every one of you. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Kelechi Christopher Uchebu. I'm not the pastor of the church. Our pastor is currently on vacation. And I would like us to keep him in our prayers. I would also like us to keep those who have traveled, others who have traveled on vacation in our prayers, those who will be traveling in coming days. Let's be there where we can uphold one another in prayer. And I believe that we'll grow together and be the people that God wants us to be. Um, I'd like to, us to pray together before I go into the sermon. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful to you and we thank you. Thank you for the blessing of life. Thank you for who you are. You are indeed a good, good father. And it's a joy to be called your own. Thank you for what Jesus has done for us. As we heard in the song today, we are grateful, our Father, and we thank you. We ask, Lord, that you lead us today. I pray, Father, that you anoint my lips to speak your word. I pray that the hearts of your people be anointed. I ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will have his way in our midst today. And at the end of it all, may Jesus be glorified. May your people be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I'll be considering the topic, um, grace, God's enabling power at work in you. And my opening text will be from Romans chapter 6, verse 14. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 to 7 says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. Now, the very first verse of scripture we read says that sin shall not have dominion over us because we are not under the law, but under grace. And so it establishes that grace is not the reason to sin. Actually, grace is the power that breaks sin, the power of sin. Grace is God's power that breaks the power of sin. Sin shall not lord it over you. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. So when we truly understand what grace is, we now know we, what, it, the, the, what it communicates to us is that grace is not a license to sin. A full appreciation of what grace is would actually bring us to a place where we can live above sin. Now, God's grace is multifaceted. It is multidimensional. It has different applications, and it, God releases his grace um, to accomplish certain tasks. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As every man 
has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So there you find it, the manifold grace of God, the manifold grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it reads, And Jesus gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that um, until we come to the unity of the faith, unto the knowledge of the Son of God, unto the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we no longer be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, their cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, the reason why God gives the fivefold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers, is so that the church can be built up so that the church can remain in truth because there are false doctrines everywhere. So Jesus gives to the church people who have been endowed and anointed to stand in specific offices so that the church can be in truth. The church can be built up. And when Jesus gave the church those gifts, he gave them grace to stand in that office. If you read first uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, But unto every man is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So pastors, evangelists, and, and all of these ministry gifts were given to the church by Jesus Christ, and they have been engraced to function in that office. That's one dimension of grace. When a person gives his life to Jesus Christ, the salvation experience is an experience of grace. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we read that God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did not wait for us to get our acts right. God did not wait for us to get our acts right before Jesus died. While we were yet in, in our mess, in our sorry state, in our fallen state, while we were at rebellion with God, Jesus died for us. So we have a salvation that we do not deserve. That's why it's called unmerited favor. That's why it's called grace. So we, we, have, we, we see the grace of God even in the new birth. And the, the verse that I read in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 speaks of God giving people specific assignment. Zerubbabel was given the assignment of rebuilding the temple. So when God gives people specific assi assignment, a task to carry out, he gives them grace to carry it out. If you notice, it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. The next verse says, he will bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings of grace. So you see, the Spirit of God releasing grace for that work to be carried out. Now, my focus this morning is 
the grace of God that works in a believer, that builds the character of Christ in the believer. That will be my focus today, the inworking power of God in the believer, to keep him living a life that is worthy of the Lord. Now this brings us to the new birth experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It's a very popular verse of scripture that we all know. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are be- have become new. A new man is reborn on the inside. When you read 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, he says, this is the record. This is the testimony. That we ha- God has given us eternal life. And that life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that does not have the son does not have life. And so at the new at, at new birth, what actually happens is the life of God, which is called Zoe, is imparted into the spirit of a man. And a new man, his once estranged spirit, is now reborn, reconnected back to God. That's why it's called the new birth. So but that, uh, everything that happens at the, in, the new, in the new birth happens within the man. It happens in the spirit of a man. I've always said that if a man, when a man becomes born again, when you experience the new birth, nothing happens to you on the outside. If you were five feet tall, you don't suddenly become six feet tall. You know, nothing happens on the inside, on the, on the outside. It's, a purely, it's purely spiritual. It happens in your spirit. So then, what about the soul and the body? What happens to the soul and the body? God desires for us to present our bodies to him and to have our minds renewed. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Do not allow the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I would like to go in that order. I would like to take the soul first, what, happen, what, what we should do with our souls, and then I'll come to the body. Now, the scripture says for us to renew our minds. We shouldn't allow the world squeeze us into its mold, into its pattern. There is a, world, there is a way the world wants us to think. The, world, the Bible tells us for us not to go according to the world's desires. How do we renew our minds? We renew our minds through God's word. That's how it's done. We reprogram our minds through God's word. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, finally, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue in them, 
if there be any praise in them, think upon these things. Now, I've always wondered, I've always wondered what meets all of these requirements. And then I finally found out that God's word meets all of those requirements. Think upon God's word. Think in line with God's word. When situations of life come against you, your first thought should be, what does God's word say about this thing? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 reads, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, having a readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. If you notice in, those, in this scripture, it talks about thoughts. It talks about imaginations. It talks about knowledge. Satan wages his greatest war in our minds, in the mental realm. Thoughts of fear, doubts, depression, unbelief, all of these things take place in the mind. And God wants us to protect our minds using his word. One of Satan's, or two of Satan's greatest weapons are the weapons of suggestion and the weapon of misrepresentation. You know what he told Adam and Eve in the garden? He said to them, um, God knows that the day you eat of this fruit, you will become as gods, knowing good and evil. And so he suggested to them that God was depriving them of something good. And in that suggestion, he misrepresented God to them. And as believers, we should be careful. We should, we should protect our minds. Especially as a church, especially here in IBCD, we are people from different nationalities. We should never allow the enemy misrepresent your brother to you. Don't ever allow it. If I, if I had a brother, a biological brother, who is not a child of God, who is not born again, you are more of a brother, you are more of a, of a sister to me than my biological brother who is not saved. Because what binds me to you is spiritual. What binds me to him is natural. What binds me to you is spirit. What binds me to him is blood. Whatsoever is born of spirit is spirit, and whatsoever is born of, of, of the flesh is flesh. John chapter 3, verse 6. 
and we have been made to drink into one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We have been baptized into one body and we have been made to drink into one spirit. Actually, the scripture says, whether you, we are Jews or Gentiles, meaning regardless of where you come from, if you're saved, we have been made to drink into one spirit. And so when we see ourselves in the light of God's word, as we put on the lenses of, the lenses of God's word and look ourselves through the eyes of God's love, it becomes easy for us to love one another because we know that the bond that holds us together is something really strong. It's a spiritual bond that holds us together. Now let's go to the body. It says for us to present our bodies to God. And for us to, to better understand what it means, you'd have to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when a man sinned against God, he brings a lamb to the priest. And the priest examines the lamb, inspects the lamb to see if there are defects in the lamb. Upon certification that there are no defects, he kills the lamb and offers it to, offers it to God. When that lamb is presented to the priest, that lamb is at the disposal of the priest. So when God says for us to present our bodies to God, it means be fully at my disposal. Give yourself to me to do my beatings, to do my will. And then you have the expression, living sacrifice. It is paradoxical. Is God contradicting himself? Certainly not. And even though we are alive, we are to deny the flesh its carnal cravings, its unholy cravings. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, if we were to, to if, um, had we lived in the days that Jesus lived, if you saw a man carry a cross, you knew instantly that the man was heading to his execution. And that was why Jesus was told to carry his cross when he was on his way to Calvary. To Calvary. And now Jesus tells us for us to deny ourselves, carry our cross, and follow him. It means for us to, to say no, to refuse carnal cravings, carnal desires, and follow him. And we are to do that daily. Now in Titus chapter 2 verse 11, the scripture says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying worldliness and ungodly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. 
It is self-denial that God has called us to. When you deny a person a thing, you refuse them that thing. God is saying, refuse the flesh, its carnal cravings, its carnal desires. Say no to it. Say no to it. Refuse the flesh. Because in this flesh, there is no good thing in this flesh. In Romans chapter 7 verse 8, Paul said, I know that in me, but he was specific about the, the me that he was talking about. He said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, lies no good thing. And so the solution to the flesh is death. The easiest way to kill a thing is to stop feeding it. Whatever you stop feeding starts dying. And so, so God, um, the scripture encourages us, as a matter of fact, tells us to stop feeding the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, Paul compares himself to an athlete. And you know, an athlete um, goes through a lot of self-discipline. They stay away from certain foods. They are up very in, early in the morning and they are out there to exercise. They want to stay in shape because of the price. And so Paul compares himself to an athlete. He says, I keep under my body and I bring it under subjection, least that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. It is self-denial. It is putting your body under and it is something that we are to do daily. You know, a sacrifice is something that is offered to God, consecrated for, to God. God wants us to be totally His. That, that is His expectation of us. And I believe that the body is so important to God. What we do with our bodies is so important to God. Because your body is your license to, to operate here on the earth. Spirit beings cannot just operate on the earth. They need human vessels to operate. And that's why God is contending for, the, for, for man. The, Satan is contending for man. Why? Because man is the only person who has legal right to function on the earth because he possesses a body. And so God wants us to yield our bodies to him. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 says, Do not yield your members, your bodies, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members, your bodies, as instruments of righteousness unto God. As a matter of fact, I looked up the word 
instrument, and, and in the Greek, it, it's actually the word weapon. Our bodies have become God's weapon. He uses our bodies to execute his will on the earth. And so what we do with our bodies matter. Now, the good thing about God's expectation of us in denying ourselves ourselves, is the fact that God does not leave us to ourselves in doing that. He gives us the Holy Spirit to do that. The Christian walk is not a walk that you can that you can or the Christian life is not a life that you can live on your own effort. It is Christ living his life. He, he lives his life out through you by his spirit. Christ lives his life out through you by his spirit. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 reads, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ lives in me, but he lives out his life in me by his spirit that he has given to me. Romans 8, 13. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you through the spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. Now the word mortify simply means to put to death. It's actually the word from which the word mortuary is gotten from. Mortuary, the place where the dead are kept. So God is saying for us to daily put to death the desires the deeds of the body, the unholy and ungodly desires. But he does not leave us to ourselves to do it. This is where grace comes in. This is the God factor in the grace equation, the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. Because sheer human effort alone and sheer um, willpower alone will only take you that far. In Hebrews chapter, nine, chapter 10, verse 29, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of grace. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul was speaking about his trials in ministry, and he requested prayer from the church at Philippi. And he said in, in verse 19, Philippians 1, 19, he, he said, I know that this shall turn to my salvation by your prayers and the supply of the Spirit. And what does the Spirit supply? He supplies grace. Grace becomes that enabling power of God at work in you that keeps you clean, that tells you to say no.
Now, we come to God's solution to the same problem. In Numbers chapter 29, as the children of Israel left the land of Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land, in the wilderness, they started murmuring and complaining against God. And because of their sin, they were beaten by serpents and they cried to the Lord. And God instructed Moses, make a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole. Anyone who looks to the serpent of brass will be healed of the serpent's bite. And then, in John chapter 3, Jesus picks up on that, that, that event and says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 16 is the very popular verse of scripture that we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If anyone believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were beaten by that old serpent, Satan. And the poison of sin was introduced into man. And that necess necessitated the cross. In Numbers, there was something about, there was something about the men who had, the people who had been beaten by the serpent. There was something about their look. When they looked to that serpent of brass, an unseen power, prevented the, the, the serpent's poison from running its full course. If, if a man who had been beaten was preoccupied with the, 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 the place where he had been beaten, he takes his eyes off the, 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 serpent, the, the, the serpent of brass and fixes his eyes and fixes his gaze. Probably the person was beaten in the leg and keeps his eyes at his leg. Death will be inevitable because the instruction was, look to the serpent of brass. Meaning that the solution is not in you. The solution is what, in what has been made available for you. And so Jesus died on the cross. The cross becomes God's solution to the sin problem. Adam and Eve were beaten by that serpent, sin was introduced into them and God brings a solution. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And as you look to him at the cross, a power begins to work on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit that prevents the poison of sin from running its course which leads to death. This was God's solution to the sin problem. Jesus on the cross. And as you look to him, the spirit of God works out his power in you to keep you pure, to keep you clean. And this brings us to the last point, dealing with besetting sins. 
in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing that we are compassed about, this is supposed to be Hebrews 12, not Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Wherefore, seeing that we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Again, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is the first time the expression besetting sin is used in the scriptures. It actually calls it the sin which doth easily beset. It is that area of weakness. It uses the definite article, the, meaning it is something specific. Satan knows that every time he throws his bait at that person, he throws that thing at that person, that person would fall. It is that, that area of weakness. The person has done everything, has tried willpower. And probably you say, I will not do this thing again. And you go two weeks and you're right back into the same thing. It's a sin which easily besets. Satan knows that's his joker. When he, once he plays that card, he's won. That's a sin that easily besets. But thank God there is a way out. And the way out, again, is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And in relation to looking unto Jesus, it says, who for the joy that was before him, you are looking at what he has done for you. He endured the cross and he despised the shame. Look at the work of Calvary. And as you look at it, grace, the spirit of God works out grace that enables you to say no. That's the secret to, to breaking the cycle of sin, addictive sin. That's the, that's the secret to breaking it. The solution is not in yourself. The solution is keeping your eyes on Jesus. Because as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you create room for the Holy Spirit to walk in you. Second Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 18 reads, But we all with open faces beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory. How? By the Spirit of God. That's how we are changed. So as we behold, behold Jesus in the Word, our lives are transformed. It's something spiritual that happens. The scriptures, the Bible is not an ordinary book. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures are given by the inspiration of God. The anointing of God's spirit is upon his word. And as you expose yourself to the word, freedom will be the result. John chapter 8 Verse 31 and 32, Jesus spoke to the Jews that believed on him and said to them, If you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
So you see, as you keep your eyes on the truth, as you continue, notice it says, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth. Continue and you will know. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow. Here it says, looking, present, continuous. It is something we do every day, looking unto Jesus. So when I say, look unto Jesus, what do I mean? Look at the word. Because John chapter 5, verse 39 says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they, the scriptures, testify of me. So the written word reveals to us Jesus, the living word. Because the scriptures testify of Jesus. So give ourselves to the word. That's the reason why I strongly encourage coming to church to be in God's presence in person. The reason is because there is an atmosphere of the Spirit that is generated here, created here, that you cannot reproduce anywhere else. You will not find it in the clubs. You will not find it in the pubs. It is the exclusive preserve, the exclusive blessing of the church. It is only the Holy Spirit that can create that kind of atmosphere. And in that atmosphere, where God's undiluted word is preached, you make room for the Holy Spirit to move. And as it begins to move, our lives are transformed, even without us realizing it. It's like Moses in Exodus 34, when he was called up by God to the mountain. His face shone, and he did not even know it. And that was what... That was what Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, made reference to. He says, as we behold the word with open faces, we are transformed, just like Moses was transformed. Our transformation may not be outward, may not be physical, but on our inside, something is happening because as we look to the word, the Holy Spirit has room. As we meditate on the word, we, we make room for the Holy Spirit to walk in us. So every day you wake up, receive grace from the Lord. I usually say, in this world where sin abounds, I say to the Lord, Lord, your grace much more abounds to me. And I receive grace. I receive grace to live for you, to live a life pleasing to you. And we have to do that every day. Because every day, Satan throws something at us. So grace is, is God's gift to us. Grace is what empowers us. Empowers us to live lives pleasing unto the Lord. And I encourage us, every one of us, on a daily basis, receive grace because grace is your empowerment against sin. Grace is what empowers you to say no to sin. Grace also empowers you to fulfill the tasks that God has given to you 
to fulfill. Amen. And so this is how this is this is what God has given to us, grace. And daily. I think it's Romans 5:17 says for us that we should receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Daily receive it. Daily receive grace. Daily receive grace. God's grace is inexhaustible. There is grace for us every day. No matter what you are confronted with, there is grace to take you through it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we give you glory and praise this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for the blessing of grace. And I ask, Lord, this morning, I pray particularly for people who are in that place of struggling with a particular um, besetting sin. I pray, Father, that your grace be revealed to them. I pray that the power of sin and the cycle of sin be broken. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you bring, grant us victory over sin and over the temptations that come our way. We thank you, Father, and we give you the glory and praise. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus brought us grace. What the law could not do because it was weak by the flesh, Jesus through grace, did it for us, and we are grateful. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.